Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. Yeah, good to talk to you again, chaps. As Dalton has alluded to there, this is going to be our Halloween spooktacular <laughs> episode because I looked at the calendar and realized that it's almost Halloween when this comes out. So we're going to talk about what scares us about Linux and open source, what's creepy, what feels like witchcraft. I think for me, it's the power that it has, which as you become more experienced, you take for granted, but you know, you can recover from things, but when you want to do something, especially if you're on the command line, you just go, do this. Okay, I'll do that. Oh, I didn't want you to do that. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> <laughs> and off it goes. And uh, however experienced you get, this is why we have backups. That mistake is never far away where, especially as you get more experience with scripting or automation or Ansible or any of those things, yeah, you can recover from this stuff if you've done your homework and planned for everything, but it still doesn't stop that awful feeling when you fire something off and go, off you go, oh my God. And in the moment where you realize and say, oh my God, so much can have happened. I recently started using Shellcheck and it caught me from doing that exact thing. So I had a script where I did rm variable slash star and it said, wait a minute, Steam tried this. They ended up deleting most people's home directories. Are you sure you want to do that? And I said, no, actually, I don't want to do that. Thank you. So uh, you shell check everyone. Yeah, for me, it's fairly similar. It's like the fact that I can do anything that I need to do almost on a Linux box. If I want it to be a router, it can be a router. If I want to record a podcast on it, I can record a podcast on it. If I want to use it as a display in a community center somewhere, I can do that. It's just the flexibility of it is the thing that's most astounding to me in a way that I couldn't do with any of the other big operating systems. Yeah, and I think, as I said in a previous episode, it's things like blowing the physical speakers on the laptop, which <laughs> I don't think I'd ever done when I used to use Windows. And if we go back far enough breaking monitors, there was actually a kernel. And if you saw a recent kernel release, if you were on a very up-to-date kernel, that had to be very rapidly scaled back because it broke lcd screens because of the way that the hardware was affected by it so they just said don't update to it and we're withdrawing it so yes uh, you can balk your operating system installation but yeah the idea that you can get blue smoke from something that you've done with linux is quite easy to achieve actually so it is quite scary and you kind of forget about it until you do something that reminds you of that but then you're trying to do the other thing where you want to write to a file system or you want to you want to actually erase a hard drive under windows yeah right <laughs> that ain't happening but you can do it really easily under linux this is true and there's no uh user access control prompts uh you want to do this do you want to do this yes do you want to do this i said yes do you want to do this yes 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 <laughs> you typed c-day tough <laughs> <laughs> My first experience of Linux felt like witchcraft to me because I was used to Windows and the first thing I'd have to do is download a bunch of drivers or more likely copy across a bunch of drivers that are downloaded elsewhere and install them, reboot a few times just to get my hardware working. And the first time I remember, the first time I booted up Linux, I thought, well, right, how do I get the drivers? Well, hang on, everything's working. And then I soon discovered you don't need drivers 
Or if you do, that's even scarier, I suppose. But <laughs> DKMS. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> but just that idea that what everything's just going to work, that just felt like witchcraft to me. Well, for me, it was even the opposite with drivers where I needed to use Endis Wrapper, which is scary enough in itself to get my Wi-Fi working. And the fact that I could load a Windows driver into Linux and just have it work was like, yeah, like you say, it was like witchcraft. Well, in Wine as well, I remember thinking, hang on, this is a completely different operating system. And yet I can just run Windows software on it and it's generally going to work perfectly. Yeah, I had that as well. I had one of my first native Linux machines was an E701 with Xandros on. And I remember getting Office 97 to run under Wine and just being absolutely amazed that I could run like Publisher and Access and all of these things that had no equivalent at the time on Linux that was particularly usable. And they just worked perfectly. Yeah, recently I, I upgraded my NAS box. And so I took the existing installation and I just cloned it onto an SSD in the new one. And I was copying a file onto it and it was really slow. So I did a speed test with iPerf and I was like, right, that's gone down to 100 instead of gigabit speed. And I checked the cables, I checked the link speed. And then I looked it up and lo and behold, it was uh, because of a driver issue with a real tech wired connection and so i stupidly <laughs> installed a dkms driver and then rebooted the box and the network didn't come back up and it's a headless box so then i had to get like a usb capture card and bring it all up and it turns out i could just use the hardware enablement kernel because it's running 2004 but to have done what i did on windows i was thinking back to things like disabling driver signature verification and things to, to be able to just poke a driver at something on linux it was a stupid thing to do that's the downside of that in fact it's in kernel now and i got the performance back up to what the previous box was like but again the the idea that you can very quickly just install you know, it's not the wrong driver as such. It's just slightly wrong. It was the right chipset, but for whatever reason, it didn't come back up. So yeah, it's that is a scary avenue to go down because it was a Friday evening. I was meant to be relaxing and I was copying one file and I thought, oh, just do this. It turned into a two-hour <laughs> project to bring it back online. <laughs> you know what's scariest about Linux though? is how it refuses to die. <laughs> Everyone's been talking about, you know, microkernels and monolith kernels ossifying and becoming outdated software. But Linux just refuses to go that way. So now we have projects like DPDK that allows you to run basically the TCP stack in user space. Or you can go the other way and you can run user space-ish code in kernel with eBPF. It's like... No, we're not going to die like that. We've got <laughs> solutions. Well, and how no project can ever truly die. They just kind of become undead because they're open source. Or they just get donated to the Apache Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what really scares me about Linux and open source? It's how it's presented to the world. You go to download some software and you've got a Windows logo, a Mac logo, and then Tux. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like uh, can you put like a, th a lightning sound effect behind that tux <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean it just 
maybe scares is the wrong word. Maybe embarrassed is the better word, but I just look around at how Linux is perceived and how Linux is kind of um, presented to the world. That's the, the only way I can think about it. Not just with the tux thing, but with a lot of the advocates for it. My, my wife often finds it has an image problem. She she was using her laptop at work with a colleague and uh, her headphone jack wasn't working. So she WhatsApp me and said, I'd done a kernel upgrade. And I was like, oh, it could be a kernel regression. So just hold shift, bring up the grub menu. And she's done it before. Select a previous kernel and see if it works. And she was like, oh, it works. As it was, it wasn't a kernel regression. It worked fine. But when she mentioned all of this in front of her colleague, her colleague was like, what are you running on your laptop? She's like, oh, I run Linux. Oh. And like his reaction was like, she was such a weirdo. And she's like, that's, she often says it, it does appear as, I guess, partly because it's a minority choice. A lot of people are not going to come across it. We do because we actively seek out other people that are using it. But on a day-to-day -day basis for a lot of people, the idea that there is even another operating system for a desktop machine is still quite weird for them. Well, I think even in tech circles, it's still quite weird to be using Linux on the desktop. Like I mentioned a couple of episodes ago that I moved back to Linux on my work machine. And I still, when I you know, share my screen with customers or other work colleagues, get the, oh, this is Ubuntu. Why are you running Ubuntu? Why would you do that every single time without fail? So yeah, it, it has an image problem, I think, Linux on the desktop, even within tech circles. I'm surprised that non-techie people even knew what Linux was. Yeah, not all of them do, I guess. It's changed a bit as well. I remember when I was repairing computers quite a while ago, and depending on which version of Linux you're booting, so sometimes I'd boot parted Magic, for example, and it doesn't have like a pretty Plymouth cover to the boot screen. And in fact, sometimes you don't want that. Someone's given you their laptop and they're like, it's not working. You want to see it in it. So you can look at, you know, it might halt on something that's useful, but when someone sees you do that to their computer, like they think you're in a, a TV series, <laughs> this text scrolls by and they're like, what are you doing to my computer? What are you doing? Like, no, no, this is, this is very, very useful. So it's getting better. There is, it is a lot prettier these days, but I guess it hasn't always strived to be presented well either necessarily. Don't know if that's fair. Well, there is no it, is there? There's just loads of different distros, and some have aimed to be pleasing on the eye, but I think ultimately most haven't. Some are just XFCE. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ooh. The ones that want to look really good are XFCE, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> but that leads me to the thing that scares me quite a lot about Linux is the fragmentation of it. And you mentioned when you go and download an app, there's the Windows logo and Apple and Tux. And I've had it a few times where I've given a Linux machine to someone and there was one friend in particular I'd given a Linux machine to before the pandemic started and they wanted to download Zoom because that's what everyone was doing in early 2020. And they were like, which option do I choose? There's a Red Hat, there's an Ubuntu, there's a Debian, there's a Mint. Like, what do I have? I know I have Linux, but I know which one of these five options for Linux that I choose. <laughs> and I think that's a real problem when you present Linux to neurotypicals because they just do not understand that there isn't a concept of Linux when it comes down to downloading an application. Well, that's what Shuttleworth and Co. tried to solve with Snaps. They tried to make it so that there was just one standard 
and obviously XKCD, etc., just ended up with another standard. But that was the the dream of Snaps was that it wouldn't matter what destroyer you were using; it would just work. It was, but then, like you say, we fragmented again because we end up with flat packs, app images, and all the rest of it. I was talking about it today, though. This is this is what's difficult is because it depends what you're using as well. Like I personally, I'm not that bothered. I look for the piece of software first, but if I go to the software page, you'll find that different projects say, this is our preferred publishing format. That's where I'm going to go. If the maintainer of a particular piece of software I want to use goes, you go to, you know, click on the download tab along the top of the website and it says, this is our primary packaging format. I'm going to want to access that. And the problem is people make different choices. And so that goal of trying to unify it, you always get people who are like, no, I don't like that unified choice. I'm going to use this other thing. And then you end up following those different things and and have everything installed, or at least I do. So I'd like that to work, but it's never fallen into place for me. No, I think it's also a strength because I think each of these packaging formats have something they do better than the other one, and each of them have something they do worse than the other one. So yeah, it's both a strength and a weakness, I think. Either way, scary. (laughs) Yeah, it really is, because what's the next thing going to (laughs) be? That's true, actually. That's a good point, Gary, because I'll tell you, I'll give you a concrete example. 2210 has just come out as we're recording this. And in the release notes, Wimpress, because I use Ubuntu Mate, has said, Pipewire is now available, but not installed by default. Here are the instructions for installing it. Every time something like that happens, I think, when am I going to have to make the switch to that? And how painful is that going to be? And are the gains I get from it in the long term going to be worth the hassle? And there's that tipping point where you're like, oh, I'm still using Pulse and lots of instructions I'm reading now assume that Pipewire is your stack. And that's what can sometimes become scary, that you feel like you've got left behind or you've jumped too early and either way, things aren't working. But isn't that the point of a distro? You put your trust in them, they hold your hand. When the distro maintainers think that we're ready to move, they will move it in their distros. And unless you're using Fedora, of course, then you're just going to get it way before everyone else and uh, your job is to test it. But if you're using something like Ubuntu or one of the flavors, then that's the whole point of them, isn't it? Is to make sure you make the shift at the right time, exactly. Yeah, ultimately, that's what's made me stick with Ubuntu for the last 10 plus years, is that actually, I kind of have grown to trust that the decisions they make are generally at a good time. It might feel a little bit weird and disconcerting to move to Pipewire now for me, but I kind of trust that they wouldn't ship it unless they thought it was ready. So one quite spooky thing is either a zombie or a vampire. I'm not sure which, but I'm talking about general purpose x86 computing. Maybe it's uh, not quite dead yet. Maybe it's living dead. I don't know. But either way, that feels like it's going to live on probably for quite some time because this hardware that we've all got isn't going to just break. And so there will be distros supporting it. But as we move to ARM and possibly RISC-V, where things are just not general purpose, you can't just take one image and boot it on a thousand different machines. That's quite a scary future to me. Yeah, it concerns me quite a lot. I mean, we've got efforts like Asahi trying to port Linux to the M1 Max, which we don't talk about here, obviously. But yeah, it's it's taken a long time to get something that is anywhere even close to usable for a lot of tasks. Yeah. 
And that worries me quite a lot. Like you say, Joe, you know, every single piece of hardware that ships, are we going to have to go through this Herculean effort just to get something booting and usable on it? And is that going to leave us on the back foot? And yeah, there have been efforts like ARM server ready and stuff to help out with it. But yeah, it does worry me a little bit as to where that leaves us on the desktop. And although the 12th gen Intel machine I have now is probably going to be good for another 10 years if I really push it, it's not going to be there forever. And at some point, I probably am going to have to pick up an ARM desktop machine. Well, do let us know what you find spooky and scary in the Linux world. You can email us, show at linuxafterdark.net. But we better get out of here. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. Don't get nightmares when you remember how much Linux is happening in your ISP. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> <laughs>